morning and online. I pray it has been a good morning for you. If you are watching online, would you engage with us as much as you can? If anything is ministering to you through this, please type it in there. We are going to pray with you. Can we give it up for our amazing production team? Now, let me, yeah, let me tell you why. Pastor Dan and Rhonda are actually in the Bahamas. They made it look like South Dakota from the editing there. <laughs> Just kidding. Continue to pray for them uh, through this season. Okay, I'm about to give us all a test online and here in the room. And if you know the test, I want you to shout it out real loud. If you don't know this, there are some doors in the back. You can just leave and you can just log off online, okay? If this test is that important for your life. Are you ready to go here? I want to need this first slide up. I'm going to say this. And as I say this slide, if you know what this is, just shout it out. Even if you're at home, shout it out right in the feed here in the room. Shout out. You ready? Here we go. Up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, select, start. Anybody know what this is? Come on, say it real loud. Contra, the greatest video game ever invented. If you know what this is, it means either you or you have a nephew or a son who grew up in the 80s and 90s because this was the code that every young man growing up in that time frame knew what it is. If you don't know what it is, let me explain to you. This is a cheat code to a video game. The Contra was a game where like you run around shooting stuff, aliens and all kinds of things. And, uh, and if you punch this code in, as you uh, had the opening lyrics or whatever, the opening scene, you would get unlimited lives, which meant you could die as many times as you needed to. And boop, you just kept popping right back up. No matter what level you on, just kept getting lives. And it was a way for non-so-great gamers like myself to win the great award in defeating the bad guy in Contra. Here's how this finds its spiritual application for our souls. <laughs> I feel that sometimes we have made praying in Jesus' name some kind of cheat code to life. Like we're going to say our words and just say that at the end and it's going to clean everything up before it. Or, 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 or you know, he only hears you when you pray if you say, actually say the words in Jesus' name. Did you know that? That's in the Bible. It's not. It's not really in the Bible. You see, in Jesus' name, praying in Jesus' name is not a cheat code. It's it's not a, even an idea. It is a place of living, breathing reality where the gospel finds its fullest expression. See, it's a position of life in Jesus' name where all that I am, all that I have been, all that I will be finds its deep meaning. When we say I'm in Jesus' name, it has a sentiment and it means that there was a time in my life that I wasn't in Jesus' name. 
I was in a name of addiction. I was in a name of, of a cycle of behavior I couldn't get out of. I was in a name of some place I shouldn't have been. And, and when I say I'm in Jesus' name, it means I have been lifted up out of that place that I was, that name I was bearing, and now I'm in a new name. When I say I'm in Jesus' name, it means every element of my life, from my parenting to my husbanding to my working to my working outing to all the things you want to put in there, has deep eternal meaning. In Jesus' name means that my, my future, my destiny, my calling is an actual reality. Why? Not because I'm in the old name, but because I'm living and breathing in his name. When I'm in his name, it means how I respond to my coworkers matters. It means how I do or don't respond to that text matters. It means how I am willing to forgive or not forgive matters. You see, in Jesus' name is not about a phrase I say after the end of my Thanksgiving meal prayer. It is my life in reality that I eat, sleep, and breathe in. And when we pray out who we are, we pray in his name. And Jesus, interestingly enough, I believe, when he discusses prayer, specifically when he discusses praying in his name, takes all of this and says, how you will know your identity is found by your understanding of being in and praying in my name. At the center of what prayer is, of what prayer could be, of why it's given to us, how prayer operates, is the understanding that I pray in the position of his name. Prayer isn't just made easier because I'm praying in his name. In fact, I'm going to suggest to us today, the only way prayer can happen is because you are praying in his name. We, we have watered down praying in his name to be just something that we do that I can access or not access. When the reality is you've been invited into the place of prayer, you've been sustained in the place of prayer, not because of your name, but because of his name and his invitation to you. You see, our effectiveness in prayer and our commitment to remain in prayer fundamentally are built upon and reside in the premise that I am praying in the position. I am positioned in his name and therefore pray in his name. Discern to somebody on your right, say, get in position. Online, go ahead and type it in. Get in position. If you're taking notes today, I hope that you are. Today's sermon is called Praying in Jesus' Name, Get in Position. We continue in our series on prayer. Pastor Tina last week did an exceptional job about talking about coming to the Father in our prayer. Now we're going to talk about how we get to the Father and it's found in his name. Our primary text that we're going to look at this morning is out of John 15. I want to give us just a little bit of context as we unpack this text. From John 13 to 17 is Jesus' last moment with his disciples. It is the place where he's gathered them together. And in John 13, he has washed his disciples' feet to unveil what servanthood truly looks like. And then he institutes communion where he gives them the sacrament of his body and blood to nourish their souls. And then he prophetically declares both his betrayal and his denial. And then in, in a bit of a veiled manner, we understand it looking at the text this way, but them in the moment, they didn't quite get it. He talks about the second coming and their life of eternity with him. And then, in all of the power in him, he makes the statement of the ages. I am the way, 
I am the truth and I am the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. The entirety of your life will determine upon do you live the reality of that statement. And upon all of that taking place, Philip in all of his brilliance says to Jesus, cool, 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 cool. You great, but I really just want to see the Father. Show me the Father, and it will be sufficient for me. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm probably not responding as kindly as he does. I'd be like, what did we just do? And Jesus, I believe, from this moment forward of the rest of his teaching in John 14, the rest of his teaching in John 15, the rest of his teaching in John 16, and even unto his prayer in John 17 is responding to Philip's missed moment that he didn't understand. All of the Father can only be seen and understood if you're in the Son. And my fear is we've missed what it means to be in his son in pursuit of the father. The father is the end point for sure, but the only entryway to the father is a life in the son. And Jesus from henceforth in this text begins talking about how he and the Father share authority and power, about the Spirit is coming because he sent the Spirit to us, about how we are called to abide and reside inside of him and sanctification flows from that. And then he says and prays out in John 17, the unity of our lives would be the missional marker to the world. Why? Not because we're in unity with each other, because we're in unity with, uh, with each other, because we are in him. And in every one of these elements, Jesus hinges prayer as the way this happens. Woven to our understanding of abiding in him is prayer. Woven into accessing the power and authority both the Father and Son have is prayer. Woven into receiving the indwelling spirit is prayer. And woven into unity really happening of a multi-ethnic church and bride is prayer. So the question is, if we're going to access all that could be, we must pray, and we must pray in his name. If you have your in Jesus' name approved Bibles, maybe the leather and the pages kind, go ahead and pull them out. Our text is John chapter, that was a joke, you can laugh, it's okay. That was a joke, John chapter 15. Let's look at our text here as we unpack these lessons for us this morning. John 15 verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide so that whatever, somebody say whatever. Oh, say it like you believe it. Say whatever. Come on, church. You ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command of you that you would love one another. 
Three things that we learn about praying in Jesus' name. Number one, we pray. We pray without positional performance. Secondly, we pray with positional authority. And thirdly, we pray with positional power. If you're taking notes, write this down. Praying in Jesus' name and the position of his name means this. We pray without positional performance. Prayer begins, is maintained, and ends when we know how we got where we got. And the doorway into his name is not your ability. It is his grace and his mercy. We are called into and we remain in the place of prayer. Why? Because of Christ's work and nothing else can be added to that. Grace and mercy are the foundational elements of prayer. You get invited into the house of prayer because he invited you. And you can remain in the house of prayer because of him. And prayer as a way of performance is the quickest way to disappointment in your soul. When I think I must earn my way into the place of prayer, I'm immediately disqualified to be in the place of prayer. And if I think I got to keep myself in the place of prayer, I will quickly find myself outside of the place of prayer. Because performance and your ability is always the enemy of everything that is the gospel. Specifically praying in his name. And Jesus moves us in this text to understand the place of prayer, of praying in him, is a work of grace. Look at what he says, verse 16 specifically of our text, John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you. When you were at your worst, you were chosen. When you were living in every other name that wasn't his name, he looked at you and said, I choose you. When you found yourself in addiction, he said, I choose you. When you found yourself frozen in fear and anxiety, he said, I choose you. When you found yourself at every other darkest moment, he looked at you and said, I choose you. And some of us have walked back from the place of prayer because we've forgotten that he's the one that chose us. And if he chose us in our darkness, he certainly will choose us when we're trying to be in the light. Let's be really clear. There is but one way you are accepted to the Father to pray and let me help burst your bubble. You are not the reason why you are accepted. Peter would say this, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, same Greek words, chosen and precious. You are built up like a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to be acceptable to God through Christ Jesus, there is but one mediator, and it isn't you. And grace and mercy says, you're invited into my name. Grace and mercy says, I'm calling you to pray because I want you. This word chosen and appoint, both of the words have the same sentiment in the Greek, and it literally means not chosen for a thing, chosen for a person. So when he calls you to pray, he's not calling you to pray to get his work done. Does prayer get the work done? For sure. But his primary reason for choosing you is just because he wanted to choose you. 
And when we, when we make praying in his name about accomplishing something primarily, we miss the point. Prayer is the relationship where we come into and we come out of for him. And he looks at us in grace and mercy and says, nothing you can do qualifies you for this place of prayer and nothing that you can't do disqualifies you from the place of prayer. You pray in the position of grace in his name. Let me tell you how this works out in my life. I find, I find that I oftentimes stay away from prayer because of my failure. Like, let's be real talk online here in the room. Your line of sanctification is not linear. It is not a straight line. It is 10 steps forward and a hop, skip, and a jump backwards. It's a diagonal journey over here. It's a stop for a minute when I'm supposed to be walking. It's I'm walking when I'm supposed to be stopping. And I have all kinds of stuff. And sometimes, let's say about 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock, I will jack something up. Turn to somebody and write and say, I know you're going to jack something up. And the first place I should run to is the place of prayer. But I read in my Bible somewhere that said his mercies are new every morning. So somehow I'm pretty much convinced I shouldn't come into prayer in the evening. Let me sleep this one through because in the morning he's going to like me better. You see, my issue of shame and guilt about my jacked upness. I didn't respond well to a text. I didn't act so lovingly in a meeting with Pastor Melvin. I ignored someone I should have engaged. I will not pray because I gotta like sleep it off with Jesus. When in actuality, I've bought the lie that says I can be heard because of something that I do better or well with. And guilt and shame, not as like an umbrella thing, but specifically to prayer, keeps me from engaging him and praying in his name. Because I thought, I, I bought in the lie that says that I'm in his name because of something that I did. But you know how also this happens? Is I will fast to earn something from God. Like, I mean, I say this often, it's true, I'm the worst faster on the planet. And I think it's probably, it is probably because I fast to get something from him, thinking that I'm going to earn my way into his name. This is, this is an absolute true story. I had planned on fasting for a whole week. This is about, about a year ago. And, <laughs> and, and Monday came. And like, and like by 6 a.m., I'm stuffing my mouth full of pancakes and Nutella with my kids, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get it on Tuesday. Tuesday came, like a lunch meeting. Wednesday came. It's Friday. All five days, knocked out, ate. And I'm sitting at a restaurant with Pastor Kevin. I'm stuffing my face with a Gouda, with a Gouda stuffed, wrapped, bacon-wrapped burger, crying, saying that I can't fast like I want while I'm stuffing my mouth full of this doggone great burger. And maybe I lack in fasting because I'm fasting to earn something. Like, I know we're fasting as a church 21 days, but real talk, how many of you are engaged in fasting because you're pretty certain that unless you fast, he's not going to hear you? Any addition to the grace in his name is not the Bible. The doorway into his name 
is grace. And the password to come through is mercy. And if we don't access and pray in that space, we will never pray rightly. I know our moments are fleeting, but I want to quickly do this. We pray often in this house about receiving a sense of grace and a lack of killing the dragon of performance. And it can have a lot of avenues. I want to specifically do this. If you, I want to, I want to really particularize this, and I get a sense from the Lord. If there has been a place of performance that has kept you specifically from prayer, or if, you're, if you in your soul would say, I'm fasting because I'm trying to earn something. And those two very particular expressions, I want to pray that that dragon gets slayed in your life. So here in the room, would you just quickly stand to your feet to receive this? If you're online, would you make yourself known and type it in? Who else? Come on. I see one in the back. Who else? I'm done. I'm done with the performance thing. I've quit prayer because I feel like I'm not allowed. I've not engaged prayer because I think, that, come on, who else? Quickly, quickly, quickly. If you're standing up or if you're online at your home, would you just open your hands right here in the room? Open your hands. The kingdom cannot be achieved, only received, like you can receive a big old gift. Come on, right now with your hands open. Father in heaven, would you just, if there's somebody standing around you, to extend your hands towards them. Father in heaven, I pray. Would you by your, would by the sword of the spirit, would you come and cut the head off performance? Would you slay the dragon that's whispering lies to our ears that says unless you fast, you're not qualified. Because I saw what you did before, you got to stay in the foyer of the house of prayer, not in the room of prayer. Father, right now, Come. Come. Come and silence the word of the enemy that says you're not worthy. There is but one name that's saved. That's his name. And we come into that name of grace and mercy. Rest from our weary souls of performance. And we say we long to pray out of who you've called us to be in you. And I prophetically speak over you now. I declare that in this upcoming season, the greatest place of joy for your life would be the place of prayer. And what has been drudgery, what has been fearful, what has been anxiousness, when you've heard the call to prayer because of performance, now would be the place you find the most fulfillment because you've come into his name through mercy. Lord, we say, may we pray in your name of mercy. In your name we pray. If you believe, would you say amen? amen. Turn to somebody and write, say, get in position. Well, you're going to say this over your lunch prayer today. Second thing is this. We pray with positional authority. Being positioned in Jesus' name isn't just about the grace to get there, but about the power to see our prayers actually effective and accomplish what they're meant to accomplish. You see, our prayer to the Father, as Pastor Tina talked about last week, is effective. Why? Because Jesus does the heavy lifting in prayer. And that's through authority, the right to ask, and that, that, that's through power, the ability for that to come to pass. In our text here, Jesus addresses both. Verse 15, he says to us, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servants don't know what his master is doing, but I call you friends, so that whatever you ask of the Father... He would give it to you. 
See, Jesus here is addressing our access to the Father. You see, servants in the Greco-Roman world would have had no rights to anything. At best, they would have been a tool. At best, they would have been some kind of object of obtainment of the master. And they would have been kept out of everything, simply told what to do and don't ask any questions. But he says, no, 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 I'm calling you friends. It's a particular term of the day that refers to this phrase of friends of the king. And the king would invite his friends in. And these friends would hear the plans of the king. They'd have the right to ask questions about the plans of the king. They'd be invited into the most intimate places of the kingship. And Jesus here is saying, I am inviting you in. And through me, you have access to the king. Through me, you have access. Because I'm positioning you. Because I have access. So you will have access. See, friends, friends have access to the king. This, I'm going to be honest, this, this text still bothers me because I think it's incomplete. Let me unpack it. Friends have access to the king, but they don't have the authority of the king. I can know what's going on, but that doesn't mean I have your authority. And, and, and I realize something. In this moment, talk back to me. In this moment, has Jesus died yet? Okay. Has Jesus resurrected yet? No, right? So the best that Jesus can offer the disciples is friendship. I mean, Abraham was the friend of God. But the problem is, is Abraham didn't have the indwelling spirit of God. And so friendship, access to the Father, was the best we could get on the side of the cross where Jesus hadn't died and resurrected yet. But see, you and I don't live on the side of the cross. We own this side of the cross. And, and it's why the moment Jesus resurrects in John 20, he says to Mary and Martha, don't go get my friends. He says, go get my brothers. Because the moment he resurrects, now you move from friendship to co-heirship. You see, Paul would pick up on this when he says that you have been resurrected and ascended as a co-heir of Christ. He'd say the same thing. He said, you've been adopted and you have full rights and privileges as an adopted son, as a co-heir of God. You see, on this side of the cross, on the resurrected side of the cross, when we pray in his name, we're not begging for stuff. We're declaring things because you've got the authority to do such as his co-heir. This word that Paul uses about adoption, we have westernized it. We, we have thought adoption is this, right? It's like the idea that I, I'm over here, I don't have a family, and so some family over there grabs me and pulls me in. Most of the time, like for example, as we think, I wouldn't adopt my own four kids. Why? Because they're my four kids, but I may adopt somebody else who isn't my kid. This is what we think Paul is saying here. It is not what Paul is saying. In the Hebrew culture, every son was adopted whether they're in a family or not in a family. And what it means, literally, it means to be placed as a son. 
And when you're adopted, when you've been placed as a son in the father's house, you now have every rights and privilege that the father has. So father would adopt every child and then in his family business would send the son who'd been son placed, adopted into the marketplace. And when they negotiated with the other people in the marketplace, they were negotiating as if the father was negotiating. When that son who'd been son placed would begin to talk and declare and, and deal with prices and deal with amounts and deal with things, it was as if the father himself was doing it. Why? Because the son who had been son placed had the authority to speak on behalf of the father. This is what Paul says when he says, you've been adopted son placed on the other side of the cross. This is what I believe Jesus is, is marking to when he says, go call my brothers. This is what he means in Matthew 28 when he says, all power and authority that I have, I've given it now to you. Why? Because when we pray in Jesus' name, you're not praying as a friend on this side of the cross. You are praying on the side where you've got the right to declare an authority what shall become. Look at what Jesus says here. He says, whatever you ask for. He does not say what my father wants. Think about this. Whatever you ask for, why? Because you're in his name, you are his co-heir, you are his righteousness. When you pray in his name, it's as if Jesus himself is praying. And I'm pretty certain what the son asks for, the son gets. Here's my question. What prayers... Have you been praying like a friend, begging the king to do? And might you be praying on the wrong side of the cross? Might it be time to pray as a co-heir and declare what shall be? When we pray in his name, we have his authority to declare and see what heaven shall bring to earth. In Matthew 6, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he does not say we request for heaven's will to come. He does not say we request for the kingdom to come. No. In the grammar, it's a command. We look up to heaven and we say, heaven, you must come here. Why? Only the son gets to say that. And you are the son to the Father. What thing in your business, what thing in your family, what thing in your medical bills, what thing in your schooling, what thing needs to be moved to the other side of the resurrected cross? That's what it means to pray in positional authority. But lastly, we don't just pray with positional authority. We pray with positional power. Jesus, in really this entire text of 14, 15, and 16, he says, yeah, you got to do the asking. Like, like you got to do the praying. But I, I do the stuff. I do the heavy lifting. I did the heavy lifting and got you into the place to mercy and grace. I did the heavy lifting and gave you my authority. And I do the heavy lifting and the power to make it happen. You just do the praying. 
And sometimes why I think we find our way outside of the place of prayer because we pray like it's the fervency of our prayers to get it done. Like somehow the faster, the louder, the greater, the more eloquent you pray. In your prayer it happens. I mean, did you know that the son only prays in King James? He doesn't. You see, praying in the name of the son means my prayer, my prayer starts the sequence of the rocket. But praying in his name is he's the one that purchased the rocket stuff to begin with. He's the one that figured out how to chemically modify the fuel to get me there. He's the one that was able to put it together in the resources. He's the one that was able to ignite the dumb thing. My prayers just started the process. Because when I pray in his name, it's his power to make it happen. I think some of us are weary. Some of us have lost the place of prayer because we just think it's up to us. Look what Jesus says here. John 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name. Who's doing the asking? Come on, at home in the room. Who's doing the asking? Whatever you ask in the name, this I will do. Who's doing the doing? And then he says it again. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, verse 16, whatever, who asks? Come on, not true question. Who asks? We, we ask the Father in my name, who's going to do the giving? He is. Verse 16, 23, just in case we miss it the first two times. Truly, truly, when Jesus has to say something twice, listen, whatever you ask, He, the Father, will give it to you. What happens to me is when I think it's up to me, I find myself praying smaller prayers. Like I have to modify the magnitude that I ask for because I'm pretty much certain my prayer can't get it done. So let me shrink back from asking the big prayers if it's up to me. And I get wore out and I can't lift it as high and as often because I don't really believe that he's doing the heavy lifting. Let me give you a quick analogy. Boaz, can you come up here for a minute, bud? Come on, man. Can we give Boaz a hand? Come on. Come on. All right. This is Boaz. This is Boaz. This is us trying to pray in our strength and name. Boaz, can you, can, you, can you pick that up? Just one hand. Just only, only use one hand. Come on, man, pick it up. No, one hand. Pick it up. Come on, come on, come on. All right, all right, don't hurt yourself. Pastor Wayne, if he gets any medical bills, they're going to you. Okay. Nah, he can't pick it up. Why? Because it's too big. It's too heavy. And even if he could get it up a little bit, it ain't going to be there for long. This is what it means when we try to pray in our name, in our strength, in a, in a warmed over version of me praying in his name. 
But what does it really mean when we pray in his name? It means I ask, we ask, we beseech, we request, we declare, not in our strength. There is but one name that is saved. There is but one face that's shining brighter than a thousand suns. There is but one who has the right to open the scroll and the seal. And that ain't my name, that ain't your name, that's his name. And so when we come on the right side of the cross in authority and we declare, we pray in his name. Ready to help me out? This is what happens. We pray in his name. Go and grab it. And all of a sudden, this weight becomes something that we, look, he ain't got hold of the board. It's just floating. Star Wars Force, right here, Jedi. Come on, Boaz. Thank you, sir. Give it up for Boaz. <laughs> what weights have you dropped and not able to hold because you're praying in your name? Begging as a friend, thinking that it's your prayers won't make it happen. And what might your prayer look like if we began to believe that he's the only one that can do the lifting that is required? And what kind of prayers might we pray differently when we pray on the right side of the resurrected cross? Just before Thanksgiving, my family had a series of Medical stuff happened. You know how expensive it is to ride in an ambulance? And uh, I gave him Pastor Melvin's address, but the hospital still found me. In the turn of the year, January 5, 6, 7, somewhere there, I remember. In succession days, I got three medical bills from the three medical things that happened in my house. And let's just say there were some commas and zeros. And it was more than I was interested in trying to pay for. And it was kind of a sucker punch. Didn't expect it. So that morning, I'm in the shower. And I'm like, Jesus, how are we going to do this one? And I don't even think I prayed. Like, I, I mean, you could call it a prayer. I'd call it more of a mutter. Like one of them groans that have no understanding kind of prayers. It wasn't fervent. Wasn't even probably understandable. But thankfully, it wasn't praying in my name. And I just said something to the Lord like, it'd be great if we had this amount of money. That's it. I don't, honest to good, I don't even think it was that legible. Get myself together, find my way to the church, our Kempstow campus where our staff meetings were. This was a Tuesday. We did our staff stuff and I drove to town center. And I walk inside, or I, I go to our mailbox. In the mailbox, I open it up and there's a, a letter, like wonderful, probably another medical bill. And it's actually from a, a guy who I'd done some things for earlier, I pretty thought maybe it might be a decease and desist letter from the way this day had gone. And I opened it up. This is like January 7th or 8th. It is the exact amount I needed that I said in the shower in a mumbling kind of manner. Now, but wait, wait, wait. This is January 7th. It was postmarked December 27th. Which means before I even knew that I needed to mumble a prayer, he had already begun to do the work that was required. 
This is what it means to pray in his name that has power. You just mumble the thing you didn't know you needed, and before you knew you needed it, he already was working on your behalf. You can't do that in prayer. His name can. Come on, it isn't in your strength. That's the kind of name of power of God that we have. What name are you calling on? And what name do you think has the power that's required to get it done? I assure you it's not yours. And you got a name that goes to work before you even know you need it to go to work for. That's what it means to pray on that side of the cross. In your weakest, most vulnerable moment where all you can utter is a sound, but that sound came from his name. It grabs the heart of heaven and it says, Anna, Jesus, I got this one. I, 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 I done took care of this two weeks ago. That's what it means to pray in his name. As we finish today, earlier at home, online, I hope you did this with us, in the room, you had a piece of paper and you wrote a family name on it. And you were asked to write a name of that person who'd come to know Christ. I believe this in my soul this weekend that Holy Spirit has said to you, stop begging for salvation. In faith, declare that that name's coming to a place of encounter. And, and, and even more so, I believe some of you have some names on these pieces of paper and at home, maybe particularly this is you. You've been contending for this person for 20 to 30 years and you're just tired because you've believed that it's your prayer that's going to get it done. I do you got to pray? Yeah. But I sense from the Lord to say, declare, don't beg and trust that I'm at work on the heels of this person. So as you come in a moment and put these pieces of paper in these frames and however Pastor Dana leads you online, let's pray in faith, let's pray in his name, and let's rest in our prayers as we declare who he is and what he's going to do. Well, I hope that you enjoyed our sermon today. I hope that you were inspired and challenged. And maybe you have a question about something that you heard in the message today, or maybe you need prayer. We would love to take the time to pray with you and answer any questions that you might have. All you need to do is simply send us an email to online at newlife.global and we would love to connect with you. Well, be sure to subscribe to our channel. You should see the link right over here somewhere and turn those notifications on. That way you are notified every single time we go live on YouTube. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you on the next video. Take care. Oh,